Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kim, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, September 8, 2014. Today we are reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we are page on page 154, the second full paragraph that begins one dismal afternoon. Today's readers are, for the 12 steps, Deanna B., the 12 Traditions, Anne-Marie M., and for the text, Susie K., Renata, and Sarah W. The reference number for Sunday, September 7, 2014, is 6848. That's 6848. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group that has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through absence in the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Deanna B. to read the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Thank you. My name is Deanna B. from uh, Chicago, Compulsive Eater. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Deanna. And I will now ask Anne-Marie M. to read the 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Thank you. This is Anne Marie M., Recovered Compulsive Eater, 12 Traditions. One, 
Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible for those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I thank you again. Thank you, Anne-Marie. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, and stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share. Do we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and the literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes? Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for reading the text is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 154, the second full paragraph that begins, One Dismal Afternoon. And I'm going to ask Susie Kay to begin reading for us. Good morning. Can you hear me? Excuse me. Um, I can hear you, Susie. Okay, thanks. This is Susie Kay. I'm I'm a recovered compulsive reader from Maine. One dismal afternoon, he paced the hotel lobby, wondering how his bill was to be paid. At one end of the room stood a glass-covered directory of local churches. Down the lobby, the door opened into an attractive bar. He could see the gay crowd inside. In there, he would find companionship and release. Unless he took some drinks, he might not have the courage to scrape an acquaintance and would have a lonely weekend. Of course, he couldn't drink. But why not sit hopefully at a table with a bottle of ginger ale before him? After all, had he not been sober six months now? Perhaps he could handle, say, three drinks, no more. Fear gripped him. He was on thin ice. Again, it was the old insidious insanity, that first drink. With a shiver, 
He turned away and walked down the lobby to the church directory. Music and gay chatter still floated to him from the bar. So um, my name's Susie. I'm a recovered compulsive reader. And um, it just, uh, this, these two paragraphs talk about our thought processes, compulsive readers. Um, um, you know, I know I have this self-knowledge. Of course, I can't drink. I can't eat sugar um, and there are other addictive substances. I can't eat them. Um, you know, but um, I still can... Actually, I don't much romance, you know, eating that stuff anymore, um, which is a great gift of uh, recovery. And, um, you know, but in in the first paragraph, Bill really romances that drink and and everything that goes with it. And, um, you know, he lets his mind go there. Um, it's kind of a dangerous place for us to go with the food, I think. Um, I was in a, um, I don't usually go into kind of, I guess I call it a fast food coffee place, but I was um, traveling yesterday and I needed, um, or I wanted to get some some decaf and um you know, uh, it's the place I go and, and, and get it. And right behind, you know, there's the person who's going to serve me the coffee and there's the sugary stuff just, you know, from the bottom of the wall behind that person all the way up to the top, all different colors and flavors. And, and um, you know, while they were getting me my coffee, you know, I could just see it. I, I, I could see that stuff behind the counter and... Um, so, you know, maybe at first, just for a split second, I romanced it. But in my, in my recovery, again, it's, I just know where it's going to take me. I know where that stuff is going to take me so fast. Um, if I put a morsel of that sugar in my mouth, I'm, I'm just, I just become crazy. Um, so, um, and so those thoughts can still come into our minds, um, you know, I'm, what, 15 months um, abstinent, I've, I've worked the steps, and I've made my amends, and I'm, I'm working in steps 10, 11, and 12, and um, I know I can't drink, but knowing, or knowing that I can't eat that sugar um, is not what is going to help me, it's, it's really, I need to have higher power in my life, and um I know where that first bite is going to take me, and I'm glad that I have uh, a program that will um, that will save me from doing that in a higher power that will will redirect my thinking. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Susie Kay. And who would like to comment on the two paragraphs that were just read? This is Paula. May I comment? Go ahead, Paula. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. This will be Paula, recovered compulsive reader. I want to just go to that that first line, just the first words, because we've all had them. One dismal afternoon. Now, he explains why his afternoon was dismal. He's wondering how his bill was to be paid. You know, it comes in many forms, that dismal. But I'm going to go right down to, and now here I'm going to go, so we all know about dismal. And I'm going to see how God uses a word. It says perhaps he could handle, say, three drinks. No more. No more than that. Fear. You know, we often say the fear prayer. 
But here God uses the fear. This is in a right place. Fear gripped him. He was on thin ice. We also often use the word, oftentimes, oh, we slipped. Perhaps not in the right place, but here it is. He's a slipping and he's a sliding. And it says again, it was the old. Again, see the word, the old insidious insanity. That first drink. Now here, the transformation. You know, we see also on page 84, and I'm just going to bring this, and this was mentioned yesterday. Today, we will seldom be interested in liquor. It does not say never. Perhaps on a dismal afternoon. But then look at what he says. With the shiver, he turned away. There, the transformation in the turning and walked down the lobby. This is the return of sanity that we talk about. The way he was thinking was insanity. But it came clear to him, to the church directory. Music and gay chatter still floated to him from the bar. Life is going to go on. There are people that can eat, can drink. They can do those things. But see what he said? He still heard it, but he didn't go into it. So I say again, I am full of gratitude here that that pot returns. And we continue to stay on watch. Like in the military, if you're on watch, you're on God. And that he was. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would you also like to share on these paragraphs? Barbara. Suji. Go ahead. Okay, Barbara, Suji, anyone else? KDF. Okay, and KDF. So we're going to go Barbara, Suji, and then KDF. Go ahead, Barbara. Thank you. This is Barbara, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. Well, I love this passage because it just has so much that speaks to me about my own patterns and choices and ways that I could go and ways that I, thank God, don't go and what what the process is very often for me. That's what I see and hear. And just before the paragraphs that we read when it says that Bill wanted so much to talk with someone but whom, Well, what that calls up for me is the loneliness of the disease of compulsive overeating. I know I often uh, used to be close to women who came from AA to OA, and we used to contrast what it was like to be out in a bar and happy with people, all this, this description of what he says, the gay crowd inside, companionship. And I used to say, well, you know, for me, and as they, you know, began to uncover food as an addiction too, it was such a lonely pattern. It was like alone hiding. It wasn't the companionship. It wasn't the release. It was a release, physical, and then the misery. But it wasn't ever that gay crowd someplace. It was always hiding, secret. And that wanting to talk with someone... Well, for me, I couldn't directly go to a relationship with a higher power when I came to the program because I didn't have that kind of close relationship. But I did find the close relationship with people who then led me to an ultimate uh, relationship with uh, the God of my understanding. So when when I see that that's my true need, my need wasn't the box or the bag or, in his case, the drink. It was really 
to have someone to be close to, to go with, you know, to talk about all these things that were causing him all his misery and what was going to happen. Uh, and that's what the program provides, and that's what the spiritual experience provides. And in terms of um, looking at his temptation and mine, the seduction of thinking, well, maybe in case he could sit there with ginger ale, maybe I could just do one and, and just go back tomorrow. Never happens. Never did happen. Isn't going to happen. It's described very, very well with the phenomenon of craving and in the experience that I have and I listen to others have. Never going to happen. That is crazy. He calls it insidious, insidious insanity that there can just be one. Um, my friend Susie could you know, just have a binge when she was upset with her husband or her children or her boss or somebody, and then she could go back the next day. I never could get that because that never could happen to me. It just went on and on until I had some kind of a crash. Um, So the choice to go to the other end of the lobby, to the church directory, as opposed to the bar, was a great choice, and he shivered. Uh, and I myself sometimes have to produce a shiver. I have to remind myself by inducing that this is this is your choice if you go path A or path B. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Barbara. And Sue G, your turn for a three-minute share. Thank you. Good morning, fellow visionaries. It's Sue G, recovered in suburban Philadelphia, and I. I just love this chapter. It is like the recapitulation of a Beethoven symphony. And and it starts out sounding kind of like a Walt Disney tune. A spoonful of sugar will make the medicine go down. So now we're into the struggle. One dismal afternoon, he, placed, he paced the hotel lobby wondering how his bill was to be paid. He had his overwhelming real-life problem. And that goes, uh-oh, now we're really vulnerable. And then then comes a, a whole bunch of chit-chat that sounds a little like more about alcoholism. He's got a lot of ideas here. He could go into this attractive gay crowd inside. Um, if he didn't take drinks, he might not have the courage to scrape an acquaintance. So now, now we're a little bit servile and scraping, which we're not supposed to be in our in our recovered state, but we're we're getting there. Bill is really into it. So he couldn't drink, but why doesn't he sit hopefully at a table, a bottle of ginger ale before him? Even has the word ale in it. He he needs a new GPS and he gets one. He he set his GPS says like the old one said, my new one doesn't do this, but the old one said recalculating and so perhaps he could handle, say, three drinks, no more. Fear gripped him, et cetera. And, and then the music and gay chatter is still floating around from the bar, but he walks in a different direction. He turns around. He does something different. He, he has his little wedding ceremony of step three, and he says, oops, I think I'll go in the other direction, and that's what he does. I, I just think it's so beautifully stated here, and it, it's really fun to read this chapter. And I read it seriously because I read for the first time on A Vision for You on Friday, and I just got to read the text. I didn't get to say a word. So I really studied this text before, after, and during, and it, it's great. It, it's full of tips. So thanks for letting me share I pass. 
Thanks, Suji, and KDF. Good morning. This is KDF, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Um, and this, you know, as Paula said, one dismal afternoon. I mean, we're all going to have some time when the pink cloud of abstinence, the pink cloud of being recovered, everybody getting along and everything just seeing so seeming so wonderful is going to, something's going to happen. Everybody's going to have a dismal afternoon and we're all going to have a time when we don't know what's going to happen next, whether it be financial, you know, a worry with our kids, a worry, you know, with our marriage, with our job, with whatever, fill in the blank. Anything can come in to our lives and make us think, I can't do this anymore. I need to go back. I need to go back to what always worked before, which was, you know, just to have a few bites to get that ease and comfort. And, you know, thank God, he, this is a, a clear example of what we need to do. What I have to do when I get into a place where I think I can't do this anymore, I have to turn to helping others. And that's what he did. He looked for a total stranger. And, you know, this is the, um, well, it, we're not on to that uh, part, what he does, but with a shiver, he turned away and walked down the lobby to the church directory. You know, and that's what I do when I get, um, you know, when I start thinking, well, it's just so inconvenient to keep eating this way and I just need to, you know, chill out and, you know, stop working this program so hard. I don't have time to be on that phone line. I don't have time to call my sponsor. I, you know, I'm just too busy. And, you know, I get a shiver. I get a shiver because I'm immediately catapulted back to where I was before I got recovered. And that was day after day after day, 11 months, the last time I picked up the sugar, 11 months of every single day eating more and more and more and not being able to put down the food. And that was years ago. I can't imagine what it would be like now with the means I have, with the isolation I have, with the uh, whatever, I, it would be so much worse. And I have to keep that in the forefront of my mind. Um, so there may be gay chatter floating around from, you know, places where people seem to be eating and not having the consequences. But that's not for me today. And I'm so grateful. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. And who else would like to share on these two paragraphs? Rochelle. Leah. I heard Rochelle. I heard Leah, and I heard someone in between. Who was in between there? Sherry Kay. Sherry. Okay. So we have... Did I miss anyone else? Because we're going to go on to the next paragraph after this. Anyone else want to jump in? Okay. So we have Rochelle, Sherry, and then Leah. Go ahead, Rochelle. Wow, I can't believe I'm first in the lineup. Thank you. So um, I want to concentrate. Oh, good morning. This is Rochelle. I'm a recovered food addict in Baltimore. And I want to concentrate on that first sentence. One dismal afternoon, he placed paced a hotel lobby wondering how his bill was to pay. Wait a second. Wait a second. Did I ever take a vacation and not take enough money with me? Or plan a trip and not figure out how am I going to get back? What's going on here? I mean, if he went there, certainly he should have taken enough money with him that he would be able to come back. 
was he depending on this this uh, job coming through, this business deal coming through, and only then would he would be able to pay his bill? I mean, this reminds me of, uh, yeah, someone who's newly recovered, who's not really, didn't get it in his, uh, I'm tempted to use the word kishkes, his insides, his intestines. He didn't figure, like, things could go wrong. You know, what am I supposed to do? What are my alternatives? How do I plan for this? There's kind of a superficial planning here, you know, which had he thought about this carefully, had he taken enough money with him, I don't know if he did, I don't think that was, I think this was before credit cards, had he taken enough cash with him, he wouldn't have been in a situation. He would have just been able to say, well, it didn't work out, uh, you know, I'm going home. But instead, because he didn't do enough planning, and for this I use myself and anybody else to whom this is appropriate, if I don't plan how I'm going to um, use my food, what I'm going to take with me if I take a trip or whatever, I'm I'm at risk. So, um, but in our case, I suppose it's it's wonderful that he didn't take enough money and he didn't plan this appropriately, because otherwise we might not have this program of recovery. So I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle and Sherry. You're next. Uh, this is Sherry Kay in Georgia. Um, I want to I want to sh- share about a bit. Can you hear me? I can Hello? hear you great, Sherry. I can okay. hear you, Sherry. Okay. All right, thank you. Um, the sentence um, that ends with um, and would have a lonely weekend, well, um, for me, my binging made my life very, very lonely. <laughs> and I think, I don't know, um, um, uh, I, I just... I mean, my most loneliest times were when I was in the food and the sugar and and binging my brains out and um so you know for me it would it would it would just um, i mean it's the opposite for me that would not help me uh and maybe I might have about a minute or two of uh ease and comfort, and then after that, of course, the morning after is um even worse than the lonely part but in the morning it's it's uh you know it's shame and it's just um feelings of just terrible feelings i it's early in the morning here so i can't pull up those words <laughs> um but uh, anyway i i just think for me it would the lonely weekend um i would have it even worse if i picked up so thank you Thank you, Sherry. And Leah, you're next. Thank you, Kim, for your service. He was on thin ice. Again, it was the old insidious insanity, that first drink. With a shiver, he turned away. You know, it's important to understand here that uh, Bill Wilson's spiritual awakening didn't transform him into a superman. He's not superhuman. He's still subject to and subject of life. Um, you know, he's not cured of alcoholism. He's not rid of spiritual pests occasionally. Um, however, you know, we have to remember he is recovered. So for the first time since his spiritual awakening in Towns Hospital, you know, Bill is being humbled. He's in hot water. He is being humbled by the uh, specter of King Alcohol. He He's had a bad day. He is bitter. He's discouraged. 
Uh, he's alone, and yes, he is fearful he will drink. However, it says here, with a shiver, he turned away. How is that possible? It's possible because Bill, because of the application of these steps, has been restored to sanity. He has wholeness of mind. He has a complete mind, a mind who can see the whole truth. And you know what? He can make decisions based on that truth. And that's exactly what he does because he turns away. Is there temptation? Yes, there's temptation. Is he seeing all the chit-chat and the hearing the tinkling of glasses? Indeed he is. Does that sem- send him down to uh, euphoric recall for a moment or two? Yes, it does. However, he has been restored to sanity. He has soundness of mind. He's been relieved of that obsession, and he is allowed. He has been given the privilege to walk a free man because he's had a spiritual experience. He's had a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. He no longer lives in the insanity where he cannot see the truth and where he makes decisions based on a lie. But because he's recovered, he turns away. He's moving towards God in this example not moving towards disease, not moving towards selfishness and self-centeredness. He is moving towards God, God-centeredness. And so he has been given the power, he has been given the power to make a different choice. And that's exactly what we have the opportunity to do and the privilege to do as a result of these steps. Remember what the big book says on the bottom of page 84. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, which Bill is in this example, we recoil from it as if from a hot flame. And that's exactly what he does. And thank God for that. Or you and I wouldn't be here. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Leah. And we're going to move on to the next paragraph. And Renata, would you read that? It's the last paragraph on page 154. Sure. Hi. Good morning. Everyone, this is Renata, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. It's a privilege to do service today. Thank you, God. But what about his responsibilities, his family, and the men who would die because they don't know, sorry, because they would not know how to get well? Ah, yes, those alcoholics. There must be such in this town. He would phone a clergyman. He sent a return, and he thanked God. Selecting a church at random from the directory, he stepped into a booth and lifted the receiver. So like Leah was saying, Bill is now recovered. He's able to think of the consequences that having a drink will bring. He can now see what a drink would do to him and not what it would do for him. You know, he's also thinking of his responsibilities. He's thinking of others. He knows that if he takes so much as one drink, he won't be able to be of service. And now Bill is not, you know, the same selfish and money-driven man that he was before he had a spiritual experience. Uh, You know, the fact that he's recovered now, too, put him on different bases. On page six on Bill's story, he goes into a cafe to telephone. And, you know, he says how, like, you know, in no time at all, he was bidding on a on a bar 
calendar and wondering how, you know, how it started. Like he started drinking and he didn't even know how because that obsession of the mind took over and he had no defense against it. But now he's recovered. So, you know, his higher power brings to his consciousness, you know, what the drink's going to do to him. And, uh, you know, like the step 10 promises says, if tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally and we'll find that his has happened automatically. So Bill realizes that his higher power is still in control and feeling sane again, he thanks God. He was able to choose recovery over alcohol. He chose God's will instead of self-will. And Bill's higher power now is God and not King alcohol anymore. You know, and the other thing too, you know, Bill took action. He got up, he he walked over, you know, the church directory. He didn't sit in a bar thinking, well, maybe I should go to the church directory and try to make a phone call. You know, this is a program of action. And so I don't have to think my way through it. I have to take action. And the most important action that, you know, we can take in this program is going through the 12 steps. And, uh, you know, Bill knows that throwing himself into helping others is the thing that can ensure him immunity against the first drink. And that's, you know, why he goes to to the telephone. And uh, thank God for me today, you know, being recovered. I feel the process, the promises being true in my life. You know, when tempted, my higher power brings to me the sanity of knowing that that one first bite, you know, what that's going to do to me. And, uh, you know, um, that's all I have to share. Thank you. Thank you, Renata. And who would like to share on this paragraph? I would. Arlene C. Oh my goodness! I heard Janice. I heard Janice's laugh at the end, but I didn't get anyone else. Eileen um, C. Okay, I heard someone C. Who said Eileen? Eileen. Eileen. Yes. Okay, and who was who was the side? Eileen. Okay, Larry. I heard I heard another female though. Who was this other female? Deb I heard Deb W. I heard Deb W. And there was one more person. Okay, so I'm going to say who I think I heard. I heard Eileen C, Deb W, Janice M, and Larry. Did I miss anybody? Sarah W, but that's okay. If we don't get to me, it's all right. I'll put you at the end, Sarah. We'll see how we do with time. Thank you so much. Okay, so we have Eileen C, Deb W, Janice M, Larry, and Sarah W. So Eileen C, go ahead. Um, thank you. I'm Eileen C. Grateful we covered compulsive um, overeater. So a, a lot of what I was thinking has already been shared, but just to to sum up what I'm thinking, um, this morning I was rereading pages 84 to 88, and I got to the line right before step 11, the, the paragraph which says, um, if we have carefully followed directions, we have begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us. To some extent, to some extent, we have become God-conscious. So this is the line that jumped out at me this morning. We have begun to develop this vital sixth 
sense. But we must go further, and that means more action. And, of course, this reminds me of the importance of staying in um, fit spiritual condition and um, not to let up or rest on my my laurels, as the big book um, says. Um, and, um, And here's Bill Wilson, who's been sober for six six months, and um, the old insidious insanity, the first drink, came into his mind, but he turned away with a shiver. And to me, that is that vital sixth sense that um, lives lives with me as long as I um, live in step 10, 11, and 12. And so that's really all I wanted to say. I know there's a lot of other people who want to share. So so thank you. I... I um, I love reading this. It's it's so powerful. Um, uh, I'll pass. Thank you, Eileen. And Deb W., you're up. Deb W., hit star one to unmute. This is Deb W. Somehow I got muted. Can you hear me now? I can hear you, Deb. Okay. So he's talking about... um, you know, this this little paragraph is where he, the pause happens is what I got from it. Uh, you know, the pause that is given to us uh, when we're recovered, that, that just that moment, a few moments that it we have something other than the disease that is talking to us. We have the spiritual that is offering us another solution and the strength and the power to take that solution. Bill had a vision. Uh, he was uh, anointed. He was called to help others. And, you know, it's a it's a new thought. It's not just about me. It's not just about what I want. My sponsor says uh, a lot of times want, the word want versus what can I do to please the power greater than me. And so in his vision, he saw the need and he saw his purpose. And uh, he was also what I experience now, all of us experience now recovered, he was given a solution all in a brief moment, a brief pause. Uh, The dilemma and a solution is given to us. And that is living, like the speaker before me said, in God consciousness. And this is what we're aiming toward. This is where we're trying to go if we can. Just hold on and wait and watch and depend on God. Thank you. Thank you, Deb. And Janice M., you're next. Yes, thank you. Um, thank you so much. Um, I apologize for laughing and, and, and stepping on others' toes. Well, this is Janice M., um, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, you see, this is all about, it says, but what about his responsibilities? Now, a recovered person is having difficulty here. Can you imagine how it is if we're not recovered? That's the last thing that I would think of if I wasn't recovered is my responsibilities or my family or helping others. Impossible. Because you see, God, as a recovered woman, God is doing for me now what I couldn't do myself as a result of working these steps. This is the whole thing. His whole thinking Like it was said, his whole thinking is restored to what? To thinking clearly, to sanity. 
And that's what I see here. And it's, you know, we talk about that intuition. It wasn't a coincidence. To me, it was my higher power, whom I choose to call God, that, you know, I selected a church uh, at random, (laughs) at random from the directory, and I got somebody. That's not a coincidence. For me, it's a God working in my life. And, you know, I had the pleasure of being at that, that town's hospital. Uh, it's, a, it's a hotel now. And if you could visualize one door on the left and then there's another door to the bar. And uh, the telephone, I mean, is, a, is on the right. If you're standing to the right and on the left, there's a bar. It's not a whole distance. It's very, very close. So you see there has to be. That is God's vision for us. Because the ultimate is, you know, after we're recovered, family, job, and then others. Not recovered, I would never think like that. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Janice. And Larry, you're next. Hi, Kim. Thanks for your service, Larry. Recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. So, um, you know, this this is pretty cool. You know, his, his sanity returned, and he thanked God. You know, it, it, it speaks to change, and you know, it's a it's an interesting thing here. You know, what what it leads me to this question: what what really leads to lasting personal transformation? You know, and 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 how are we able to make these these different these different choices now? You know, and there's you know, change is a mystery. You know, there's no no panacea. You know, no. No one answer to how and why some people can alter their behavior, as Bill did here, while others cannot. You know, even even among experts, you know, on change, you know, um, there's a lot of different. Um, there's a debate on on how change happens. But see, I know today, as a result of working these steps, that God changed me. See, His sanity returned, and He thanked God. And as was said before, what happens, you know, prior to having a spiritual transformation, prior to having this complete psychic change, there I always, ultimately, my actions followed my thinking. And my actions nearly always, they were not the responsible ones, right? You know, I would eventually pick up the food, pick up the drink. You know, and today, because my sanity has been restored, you know, I can make the right decision, and I thank God for that. doesn't mean that, that again, that, uh, you know, on occasion, you know, things will happen or fear will grip me, you know, that false evidence appearing real, that lie. But like it says in the spiritual experience on page 567, what often takes place in a few months, a few months of all the decades that I've been alive, could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected resource, you know? And that was, for me, that was uh, God, an inner resource. God exists within me now. I've been, I've, I've uh, reconnected, I've plugged into the power source. That's what happened to Bill that day. He was having a rough day, but he was able to make a good decision. And that's as the result of working these steps is what ha- what's happened to me. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. And Sarah W., you're next. Good morning, Kim. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. My name is Sarah W. I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive reader. 
You know, I was thinking that there's a lot of step two and step six in this paragraph, and that's why I wanted to share, you know. I know that the sixth step is all about, you know, what's the difference between a woman and a, and a girl? What's the difference between a man and a boy? And, you know, he was looking at the fact that he needed to look at his responsibilities. You know, he no longer was wanting to live in that selfish mode of, you know, what can I do for me? You know, how can I get what I want? And then, you know, when he talks about his sanity returned and he thanked God, you know, obviously he kind of walked into that second and third step. You know, he he came to believe that a power greater than him could restore him to sanity um, uh, and that, um, you know, he was turning his will and his life over and then he he you know, obviously was willing to pick up the phone and, and reach out to help another alcoholic or another another person in need. And, you know, that's what the whole program is about. It's about getting out of ourselves. You know, we know that selfishness and self-centeredness is the, is the root of our problem. And um, that's what the steps provide, you know, the ability to walk away from self and start thinking about life in a completely different way and we are so blessed to have that with that all pass. Thank you, Sarah. And who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Chaya. This is Janice. I heard Chaya. I heard Janice. And was there one other person? Okay, we'll go with Chaya and then Janice. Hi, everyone. Thanks, Kim. Hi, this is Chaya. Very grateful to cover compulsive eater and bulimic in Denver, Colorado. Welcome to anyone who's new. I just love when we read this. I love this chapter and I love, you know, watching the unfolding um, of how, you know, we are here today and that, you know, it was explained to me as, you know, that is where, where it describes in, um, you know, in the 10th step where it says we, were, we'll, we will react sanely and normally. It's not even our doing, right? It just comes. And, this is this is an example of that. You know, Bill is in that position and he's able to act, he's able to react sanely. You know, the thought of drinking comes to his mind, but he is able to act sanely and turn the other way and go help someone else. And as was just said, helping someone else really is the key to our um long lasting recovery. Um you know, my daughter, I just sent my daughter off to Israel for a year of college, her second year, and um, every time she's flown the last several times, her luggage has gotten lost. And so she just, we just made it up that she was going to lose her luggage. Like, we just planned that she was going to lose her luggage. And um, she called me uh, when she got there, and she said, my luggage wasn't lost. She said, but you know, it was amazing. There were a few girls on her on her flight who were going for their first time, for their first year of college, and um, she's going back for her second. And she's part of part of what she's doing is also mentoring the girls that are coming for the first time. So there were a few girls on her flight that happened to have been that were on her flight that were were going for the first time. So she said, "Mommy, you know, there were a few girls that were that were coming for their first year, and they didn't know what was going on when we landed. And so I started helping them. You know what?" I wasn't thinking about me. And I thought, oh, this is the key to life. This is the key to our recovery. And really, it's the secret to life in general, that I get out of myself when I think about others. And for an alcoholic, for a compulsive eater, my troubles, 
my, my, the foundation of my troubles is, you know, as my sponsor and I call it, you know, what have you done for me lately? That's my trouble as opposed to what can I do for you? And this, this, the disciplines have trained me uh, to think that way uh, as, as often as possible. And I have a 10 step to help me when I don't, but here's Bill and he is recovered he has been given um, a relationship with God that stepped in. We learned in more about alcoholism that there comes a time where there's nothing that can separate us from that drink except the act of a higher power. And this is clearly an example, a demonstration of that. And that the key, it says, when all else fails working with another alcoholic, that's, and that's uh, what's demonstrated here. So it's just a beautiful uh, application of, of what we what we learn and really what we become as a result of the steps. Cause I think more than anything, it was a, a process of becoming and it's a continual process of becoming um, until, uh, you know, until my days are over, I will continue to become. And that's why we have these incredible steps, steps 10, 11 and 12, which allow us to do that. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Maya and Janice. Good morning. Good morning, Ms. Kim. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. I, I think about Bill because I think about myself. And in that moment, in that moment, he knew that if he did the same things over and over again, he was going to get the same results he'd always gotten. You know, I don't know about you as a compulsive overeater, but I know about my disease and where it took me to. And I don't want to ever forget that. I don't want to ever forget that. Because I, you know, what had, what had once been a habit had become an obsession. And I was drinking, eating against my will. Somebody like me who had once had a lot of willpower now I was at that place, and Bill knew. He, he, I believe, had this mission now. And for six months, somehow he knew carrying this message of what had happened to him had kept him sober. But he looked for someone to connect with because he knew on his own he would not last. On his own the thinking, the thinking, the thinking, but getting back to that same place where this time it'll be different. This time I can sit at a table. I won't have anything to drink, but this time I can connect with some people. Laughter and gaiety in that that bar room beckoned him. But then he knew that for his own sake, for his own sake, he had to connect with another alcoholic. And so he made those telephone calls, and it is no different for me today. You know, when fear strikes you, when, when something happens to me and I am uncomfortable and disturbed, I know now that picking up the phone and talking with another compulsive overeater will help me and hopefully will help them as well. Because I tell people, pick up the phone before you pick up the food, and something remarkable happens. There is in that miracle God, I believe, 
whatever you define God is, your personal higher power, and Bill discovered that for himself too. You know, Dr. Silkworth had been trying to help him, you know, and knew that if you if you keep trying to drag those alcoholics off the bar stool and tell them what to do, it's not going to work. But if you share your own personal experience, what worked for you, you know, they might have a chance as well. And so here he is, and he can practice that. He can practice that by turning away from that old thinking and that old deeply ingrained habit to a new way of thinking. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Janice. And I'm going to jump in here before we close up because we're getting close to the uh, end of our meeting. And, um, you know, it says here, selecting a church at random from the directory, he stepped into a booth and lifted up the receiver. And I, I personally love studying the history of AA. And, and I was listening to some history stuff, and it talked about that Bill called a, a Reverend Walter F. Tunks and got 10 names from him. And he thought to himself, well, Tunks rhymes with drunks. He must know some drunks if his last name is Tunks. And I just thought, oh, what the brain of an alcoholic to think that way. And he was given 10 names. And one of the names he was given was Henrietta Sieberling. And he didn't want to call Henrietta Sieberling because this deal that had fallen through, the gentleman who owned the company that they didn't get the proxy was named Sieberling. And he assumed it was the wife of the gentleman that just turned down their business offer. And he left that name till the end. But nobody could get help him find a drunk. So finally, he called up Henrietta Sieberling and said, I am the rum hound from New York, and I need a drunk to talk to. And Henrietta said, of course you do. We've been waiting for your call. And Bill was aghast, like, what is she talking about? And here, Henrietta Sieberling was in the Oxford group with Dr. Bob Smith. And that week, they had had a prayer meeting saying, God, please bring us somebody that can help our dear Dr. Bob. So when she received that phone call from Bill, she just knew it was divine intervention and that Bill was meant to call her, and she called Ann Smith, and they had, we'll be reading tomorrow about that wonderful meeting between the two. But I just love learning about the history because it really shows us the divine intervention, God's hand weaving these people together who have no... You know, a, a doctor from, from New York in Towns Hospital, Dr. Silkworth, a psychiatrist from Switzerland, Carl Jung, a religious group from the Northeast, the Oxford Group, Henrietta Sieberling, Walter Tunks, all these people God is orchestrating that together so that you and I, however many people are on this line, have the solution in 2014. And with that, we're going to end our meeting. So thank you everyone who has shared. Thank you everyone who is on the phone live. And thank you to everyone who is listening to this recording. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Sarah W. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thank you, Kim. This is Sarah W., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the, sick, for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, 
cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you.